0: Hey everyone, welcome on. First, I want to tell you that Danny and I are back on NBA League Pass, and you can check us out during their free preview, the first two games that we're going to be doing. Wednesday, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, Washington, and Philly, two revamped teams. That's a really good game for League Pass. It'll be right at the start of the night. You can get it on League Pass Digital. Just click on the stream, and when you select your announcers, you can pick us as the influencer cast. League Pass Digital, if you haven't tried it out yet in the preseason, is much improved, by the way and again you can check it out for free and then we'll have another free game in that first week preview on Monday at 7.30 Eastern 4.30 Pacific that'll be Detroit and Atlanta two more revamped teams that we'll be really excited about so you don't have to sync up anymore the NBA cast it's all in one window and it's going to be on this newly revamped league pass digital which has been great so far so please check us out on there give us some positive feedback on social media as well we send that to the NBA if you've been wanting some alternate announcements options this is your chance to to vote with your eyeballs and watch us starts first at 7 p.m eastern on wednesday philly versus washington can't wait well we are doing this far later than tradition would normally have us doing it but we're finally getting to our over-unders and this is going to be really really interesting this year I went through and I tallied up all my predictions from the Season Outlook series, and I was, like, way too high, actually, which was a surprise. Last year, I think I was, like, seven wins fewer than the number that we expect. And this year, I, at first blush, was, like, 27 too high. I made a few modifications, but I'm definitely going to still be higher than the number of wins that are actually available around the league although in some respects over unders reflect that as well because you have this kind of binary thing for a lot of teams where if their star ends up missing a ton of games then they're gonna just be way way lower but otherwise they'll be kind of around the over unders so well and then uh, the other thing yeah. I was
1: thinking about this as i've been working on the prep is that at certain points like you have like especially when i archer when i do this we do it in in, in from worst to best and so you kind of run our highest to lowest per, or lowest to highest per Is that they're like you? You know, you kind of you go like, oh God, like you have a bunch of overs or unders in a row, and you go, well, that's not going to happen. But the thing to remember is, if you don't know which of the teams is going to go the opposite way, it's kind of better to go. That's why you always go with what you think is right on each one, because if you try to get too cute, then sometimes you get it wrong.
0: Yeah, so we are going to go in alphabetical order instead, and we're going to start with the Western Conference. And one of the big patterns that I had in my predictions was some of these mid-tier teams that we expect to be good in both the east and the west i was way over on probably i would say maybe 25 teams i was within a game or two or even 0.5 of what the line actually was because i fastidiously avoided looking at what the lines were this year until i made my picks but for some of these good teams i'm three four over in some respects so that's where my being too high probably came from and a few thoughts on that before we get started last year was a really odd year because you basically had this stratification where in the east it was six teams in the west it was seven that were really good and then everyone else was way below them and not even close to 500 which is a a very odd pattern and so perhaps that seduced me into thinking things along the lines of like oh yeah indiana in the east for example they're going to be just as good as they were last year but perhaps i should be lowering down my expectations for some of these teams because i'm looking at what they did last year but the rest of the league is going to be a little bit better and so you know having a team that's a 50 win six seed basically in both conferences like maybe you're not going to have that this year so uh i'll try to work through that as we do this but let's begin well actually i guess we can say this first because you already did the podcast with arturo any other just kind of macro things that have stood out to you here before we get started
1: yeah the other big one that i wasn't thinking about as much early on um but is i think a a potentially salient point is that you think about the compression but then also the changing balance of the schedule so you have more games not more games than usual but more games in in per you know per week or whatever you want to say so that creates some advantages and disadvantages also the the differences of like sometimes your same team is playing another one twice but also they didn't reduce the number of across conference games so for the western conference where we're starting here they're still playing 30 of their games against the eastern conference just now it's 30 of 72 as opposed to 30 of 82 so as somebody who believes that the west is stronger than the east this year that is a marginal difference to consider that they are they are kind of a higher proportion and especially because the terrible teams are more concentrated in the east there's like a little bit of a higher proportion of cheapies but not dramatically so wasn't i don't think that fundamentally changed my projections that much but it was um it was something i thought about
0: well let's get started here with the dallas mavericks they're over under please
1: yeah, so it is at forty three point five. Oh, I'll also note these lines are from points bet and I pulled them. I think it was it was Thursday night. I don't know that anything moved too much after that, but you know, I, I, the lines have stayed pretty stable. So what I'm going to do is I'll say the over under in terms of this year's total, and then I will translate it into eighty two because I think that's how both of us lots of times think about the league. So dallas mavericks first the over under is set at 43 and a half but if you want to think about it for 82 games that's a 49 and a half win over under
0: yeah and this is one of those ones that i was way higher on and perhaps the loss of chris porzingis should have cowed me on that a little bit i picked in the preview 47 wins for these guys which would be a 53 win pace over 82 games so that's way over that's three and a half over more than you would generally see so this probably is looking like it would be one of my best bets at this point point. and i think the fact that dwight powell is back and has looked pretty good in preseason the fact that they their bench looks pretty good josh richardson looks rejuvenated as well i think these guys are going to be better defensively even if they can't quite duplicate the crazy offense that they had last year i still expect them to be nicely into the top five and i think they could be average defensively and so that's it's gonna be a, a pretty good team that's definitely more than 50 wins the other thing of course to remember with them is that they had the point differential yes. of a 53 win team last year they won 5.7 games fewer than expected per cleaning the
1: glass. right and you would expect you know a team with the league's best offense not saying that Dallas won this year and, and a middle of the average middle of the road defense to, to do relatively well they had those notable crunch time struggles and some of that might continue you know you could see them underperform their differential again this year but generally that doesn't hold you you know, there isn't predictability in that year to year. I can go with that huge swing that Charlotte had, for example, from underperforming it to then overperforming it last year. So yeah, I'm going over as well. Porzingis only played fifty seven regular season games last year, too. And so he might he might miss more, a higher proportion in this campaign, but I don't think it's dramatic. And also, you you brought up a few of the players. I think Dallas's defensive talent this year is meaningfully better. You know, having Josh Richardson in the starting five, having more than DFS and Moxie Cleva kind of defending in those circumstances, I think will be very useful for them. And Dallas has functional depth. Rick Carlisle's a good coach, so and they have a lot of continuity. So I I think this will be I think this will be a good year for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure other than the potential porzingis absence i'm not really sure why you would think these guys would be worse than last year and they were on a 53 win pace last year so yeah give me the over now i mean maybe you could just say that they relied so much on seth curry and that tim hardaway was a little bit over his head but and they they have pretty good depth at just about every position maybe they're a little bit light at point guard when luca is out they're going to be relying on jalen brunson a lot if he can't if he struggles or misses more time than your kind of Trey Burke, Tyrell Terry. That's not too amazing there. But uh, and let's not forget Luca missed some time last year too. You know he had that ankle sprain. They and they just I'm just a believer in this team's bench. I'm a believer in Rick Carlisle's ability to get these guys to play well, even if there are some absences on certain nights among the stars. So yeah, this one is one of the easier overs on the board to me. And I think a lot of it just comes down to that point differential from last year when people are trying to extrapolate out where they were last year they're not considering that aspect.
1: and that Marks a good juxtaposition with the second team alphabetically, which is the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets made it all the way to the Western Conference, but they also uh, had the point. Dif- Actually, I'll, I'll say that I'll say the line first. So the over/under for this year is forty-four and a half. That's fifty point seven in an eighty-two game season. And so Denver last year, Dallas underperformed their point differential by the second most, and Denver overperformed their point differential by the most. They were four point seven wins over. They had the differential of a 47 win team in 82 game season and so they would actually have to outperform that this year in order to meet this overrun.
0: and this is one where i felt like i might reduce their prediction i had them with 52 wins last year or, or uh, when i talked about it with maras and their over-under is basically 51 over the course of a regular season so I've, I had them as a 52 win pace obviously man this is going to screw us up so much uh but
1: that's why I just do everything in regular in 82 game terms
0: yeah so I have them winning 46 games this year I when I thought about it a little bit more I bumped them down to 51 but it looks like Will Barton is going to be healthy now he's played in the preseason and I think this just goes back to thinking Nikola Jokic looks amazing that was the biggest my biggest takeaway from the preseason season to where i think they can be better than last year i think the loss of jeremy grant in the regular season is not going to be too significant to them I, he didn't really help them all that much those units weren't great uh losing mason plumley i don't think that matters i think he's totally overrated and Jokic, just i i think he's going to absolutely kill people and i expect some growth from jamal murray i think michael porter can be better and help pick up the slack so gary harris you would think has to be better this year and they've got some pretty good depth as well so i'm uh, i don't feel amazing about this one Particularly given the point differential aspect, but I am going to go with the over somewhat reluctantly.
1: I am similarly reluctant, but I'm going with the under. I, I was torn on this also because Denver's consistent home court advantage. Like, I think in particular, this year could be, you know, with a, a more compressed schedule, that they could be more pronounced.
0: Yeah. But they might be the only team that has a home court advantage for a lot of this yeah, year. Yeah. Them in the, Utah. Them in
1: Utah. And so I, I think that there is a, a consideration there uh, that is the material. And you brought up health. I mean, you. Jokic was, was really healthy last year, but of course, Harris missed time and wasn't right. Barton missed time, Jamal Murray missed time, Millsap missed time, and you're right about Jeremy Grant. I mean, he he is an important part of what we kind of thought maybe their ceiling could be, but Jamichael Green is a totally functional thing. I will disagree with you. While Mason Plumlee is not my favorite player, his consistency, I think, is something that they'll miss when you consider that Denver, if they replace him functionally with Paul Millsap, if he plays backup center, that's fine. But if it's Hartenstein and Zeke Naji, I think there could be some... You you knows oh some little marginal losses there. I also worry a little bit about Denver's game by game defense just because, you know, losing Tory Craig and in addition, that could be a challenge. But I think Mike Malone has coached the team. They've done well in the regular season. So I was really torn on this. Like, I went under. I didn't feel super great about it. But it is. Um. But it, it that that was just kind of where I went. It, it's kind of the idea I've talked about this before. Of like, there are more ways for a season to go wrong than right. If you you know like because there are, I don't think there's necessarily other than maybe Michael Porter Jr. A true like insane breakout player from what we think. Now I think Jamal Murray's going to be closer to what he was in the bubble than he was in the nineteen in twenty regular season, which would be a, another upgrade that Denver has in their back pocket. But uh, yeah, it's it. It's really close, though. I mean, I think this is just a really well-set line
0: the golden state warriors they're over under 37 and a half of course 36 wins so would be 500 that is a 43 win pace over the course uh, of 82 games and the news that draymond green is probably going to miss at least the first two games although they probably weren't going to win those games anyway so it's not exactly a killer um he has a foot muscle strain suppose the the mri was clean and then James heisman was a full participant in saturday's practice sounding like at least as we record this on sunday night that he's gonna be a good bet to start amazingly enough having not played any preseason games and only a few scrimmages but uh they want to get him out there and you know we'll we'll see they're gonna throw him into the wolves i they have been extremely high on him but i also am a little skeptical that any rookie is going to be effective right away a big reason that i was maybe a little higher than most on this team and that I predicted them before we knew the Draymond news to have 39 wins, which would be a 45 win pace. Was I think that their defense can be really good, but if they're not going to have Draymond Green. That can collapse pretty quickly and they start off on this road trip this four game road trip to the east where you know they might be favored in maybe one of those games. So I knocked him down one win with this stream on news from 39 to 38, but that would still be very slightly over and I also I just like them better than I like some of these other teams like a New Orleans for example or San Antonio or Minnesota or Memphis and I think they're going to be in position for the eighth seed, so I will go over. I don't feel great about it, though, and Obviously, if Steph Curry misses significant time, then that would change my opinion.
1: I don't even think it needs to be a massive amount of time; like ten to fifteen games would be more than enough. I mean, I think the Warriors are going to struggle immensely in the minutes where he sits and is healthy. You know, just the you know ten minutes or whatever a game that he doesn't play, because the Warriors, despite all the praise that Bob Myers and the front office get, they've never, other than incidentally the year with the end of the six months or whatever with D'Angelo Russell, they've never really had a capable offensive engine other than Stephen curry on this team and that's going to be more pronounced this year arguably wait,
0: wait, wait. kevin durant
1: oh no i'm sorry i mean like a like a initiator you know like the yeah well, the, a, a the backup, backup point guard, guard. yeah yeah I mean Durant obviously and a, a player, but you don't you don't do it in that same. He doesn't fill that same role necessarily, and the Warriors didn't use him that way, which they could have. But yeah, like the the remember going back to like Kent Bazemore and Steve Logan and, and various other other Steve Blake, sorry not Steve Logan, um, and all the other ones that they've tried and Wanamaker. As much as I like him and I think that he can be a good fit on a successful team, that's not really what Wanamaker does. I, I think that it would be very easy for the Warriors to go under here primarily on health purposes, but. I think that Curry is one of those him alone offensive forces where the team will the team will be able to be pretty good when he is on the floor and they as you said I think they have enough defensively in those minutes and maybe we'll we'll get to a bit more about how Steve Kerr and the coaching staff can succeed there. So I I don't think I'm not super confident they're over, but I'm going over as well.
0: Yeah, this is really a bet on their defense to to me. Houston is completely impossible. (laughs) What is their over-under?
1: So the over-under is set at 34.5, and that on an 82-game pace would be 39.3, so under 500.
0: Yeah, and Rahat Hook and I banged our heads against the wall over and over again. He made the point, though, as we tried to figure this out, he made the point, though, that they are going to get back some real players and that they also ha- don't have their draft pick this year unless it's in the top four otherwise they're going to get miami's pick almost certainly because they get the worst of theirs okc's and miami's unless it's in the top four and then it's protected so they don't have a, a huge incentive to tank and i think they have you know christian wood is going to keep playing if they get ben simmons i think that's the most likely outcome for a potential hardened trade john wall looked pretty good in the preseason i mean I th- what do you th- let me ask you this what do you think these guys are with harden you know playing at 50 percent on defense but otherwise playing and then the rest of these guys the way they've looked in the preseason what would you consider them over the course of an 82 game season
1: well so last year they were a 48 win team and you think about the ebbs and well, they played that they the differential 48 win team and you think about kind of the ebbs and flows of the year started out as a little bit of a mismatch and then they house of fire for a while and then the struggles early in the bubble somewhat due to due to injuries and COVID and everything else and then they got washed out of the playoffs at in the second round I would say there's def I would really have them as an over 500 team because Harden it's hard for me to imagine what 50% of Harden is offensively I think he's still like if he's not trying on offense and I think he still will that he'll be still be a good player and then defensively okay I mean that you can work around that and I like Houston's supporting talent they they do have an issue sort of like I just talked about with the Warriors of where are they going to go for offense for generating good looks when James Harden is not on the floor because you know Eric Gordon and John that's probably going to be the John Wall show and that could work if he's healthy absolutely and they could and Silas could stagger those guys so I'd say they're over 500 maybe somewhere in the realm of like a 45 win team and then so if they have Harden for let's say half the year maybe even the whole year then I think they're at that pace and they are I think they're they are going to get players back if, they may, if the Rockets make a Harden trade. Maybe it's more in the, like, if they make a Nets trade with Karis Levert and something like that, but those guys can still contribute. And I don't imagine Rafael Stone is going to just totally tear it down in season. I could have seen that coming. You now, they could trade James Harden, but I don't think they're going to, like, you know, sell off eric gordon and pj and all those guys in season i I
0: think they would actually i I would actually wouldn't surprise me if tucker is part of the eventual Harden trade
1: yeah i could see that but what i mean is like just everything else like everything that's not nailed down like a true fire sale. i could imagine that happening in the 2021 offseason but it's just my my inclination but i think they're over they're an over 500 team as long as they have harden and afterwards maybe they're a little bit below so i'm going over
0: yeah i am too i mean which is insane this is now four straight overs for us uh for you oh yes that's right yeah you had under for denver that's uh a a disagreement we always love those i I expect that this this is the hardest season that I can ever remember to prognosticate just because there are so many crazy variables. Uh, let's get to the Clippers now. And 46 and a half is their over-under. I picked them for 48 wins this season. So I'm going to go over. I really like even with all the shit that they went through last year they were a 57 win team they're a little bit unlucky of course Paul George missed a ton of time last year Kawhi missed I mean yeah it's a 72 game season but I don't expect him to miss more games this year and there also just seems to be more of a feeling that they want to really attack this season and get that terrible taste of the bubble out of their mouths I think that they fit together a little bit better than last year I do think that their bench offense is going to miss Mantra's he may be a regular season loss for them but these guys were really good last year and i just don't see why they're going to be worse than last year i mean they they were on a 57 win differential this implies that they would be a 53 win team so like why is why is this team four wins worse than last year it's
1: i mean the the way that the, the way that they're four wins worse is just that they care less about the regular season and that's possible yeah, I, but I'm, they should care I'm,
0: more this year
1: maybe i mean they if Kawhi Leonard's still not playing on back to backs, I mean the, the Paul George thing I think is, is a fair point to make. Another important one in favor of the over is that remember they had a trade deadline acquisition in Marcus Morris. So Morris only played in 19 regular season games for the Clippers. He will presumably be around this whole season. They will, you know, they won't have Mo Harkless. They won't have Jermichael Green. Um, I, I think the depth issues are a concern. I I actually so I actually am going under on them just on the I, I think they'll miss Harold and there there are some elements of the rotation. That I think Ty Lue needs to figure out, and he can't. And, and but what concerns me about the Clippers is that I maybe this is just me underselling it, but like they're when they sit their best players, like when it's you know when Kawhi Leonard has a has a rest day. I don't love that the way that group, you know, kind of fits. I think if they're if they if Tyloo can do that against bad teams, yes, they'll crush them, no problem. And also, I well the other thing that pushes me back the other way is the Clippers were only really destroyers in the regular season for if memory serves about two weeks before the COVID hiatus. And if they do that, let's say instead of two weeks, that's two months, then they're way over this so I, I feel kind of dumb picking the under but i'm still i i still you know it's, it's kind of this idea of like how far will they be pushing on the accelerator
0: yeah we'll we'll talk more about the clippers and like this lawsuit against jerry west uh, as well as a subject we'll hit on at some point marcus morris is questionable for tuesday with knee soreness he hasn't played at all in the preseason really so that that's definitely a concern uh, he's a pretty essential player for them as that stretch four option and if they don't have him then you kind of move everyone. Up a slot, and you get really small and defenseless in the backcourt so there are definitely reasons to be a little bit of concerned, but i think they're just so much of what they said is indicated that just going not going hard in the regular season last year caused them to get bad habits and they weren't able to overcome the adversity that they face in the playoffs and so i, I think they're going to really want to prove that that is not going to happen to them this year the lakers are another one this is actually going to be one of my best bets for you'll never guess which direction i'm going here for the western conference the over uh although again the with it just as it turns out these are all teams that we think to be pretty decent playoff teams. Um but what did you have for the Lakers?
1: I'm going over as well and I think that the Lakers I've been very critical oh so we should say the line. Um 46 and a half, it's the same as Clippers, 46 and a half, which prorates to a 53 game in 53 wins in an 82 game season. And for me the, the difference between the Lakers and the Clippers, even though we don't like we'll see how much LeBron actually sits. They did have a longer playoff run of course. Is that I feel confident that the Lakers have the defense and the the kind of the the talent fit to make it work when either, not both, but when either of their stars sits. Like I think that especially with having Harrell around and Schroeder, I think that they have enough offense to survive a non-LeBron game as long as it's against a bad team. And then they can handle a non-AD game when, when necessary as well. So I, I think that... That and just the sheer basic, which was true with the Clippers too, but I think it's in some ways more true with the Lakers as a regular season team, that at full strength, they're much better than a 53-win team. And... They will, I think, they will be able to steamroll bad teams. You know, like they could even do the the approach I've wanted to see teams maybe do this more deliberately of just pull your starters when the game is settled. You know, like so maybe LeBron plays against the Pistons, but he only plays three quarters, so you can reduce his workload that way and everything else. I'm not, and so, but I just think they have the horses to make it happen. And do we want to talk about the Kuzma extension?
0: Yeah, let's finish up uh, on the team first. They sure. did win five games more than expected. Expected last year or were on pace to win five games more than expected last year uh, per cleaning the glass, but that still would have made them a 55-win team. And while we have panned their moves to some degree in the regular or, or for the playoffs, in the regular season, I think that Harrell and Dennis Schroeder are going to really help them. And yes. my anticipation is that they're going to keep LeBron and AD together a little bit more than they had before. Let Schroeder and Harrell be the stewards of the second unit that won't stop anyone, but should also score pretty well and then they'll just kill people when lebron and ad are on the floor together and i think they, they don't have a ton of continuity with this group yet but they have smart guys they have that marcus i think is going to really be a nice connector for them on both ends and i mean to just say that they're a 53 win team that just they're just better than that i mean they got two of the top five players in the nba and they got totally decent depth in the regular season around them they're not going to have any of these spots that are just going to non-nba players so if there are some absences i think they can weather those pretty well so this is one of my best bets for the over with the lakers um yeah what do you think of that kuzma extension three for 40 third year player option
1: this is the type of extension that I wish happened more often in the NBA, where each side gains something, maybe not well, almost definitely not everything they wanted. But for Kuzma, it's it's not starter money, but he could get out of it after two years and forty million dollars. Cause remember, he it's a player option for that third year. So that means he gets to make the decision of whether that's a good or bad idea right before right before he has to play that year. So I, I think for Kuzma, it's life-changing money, secured a year in advance. And for the Lakers it's a rotation player who, you know, he's 25, could get could get better from here. Not a great fit with it, but if they need to move Kuzma, that's harder to do in season due to what's called the poison pill provision, and so functionally the way that works is... For the Lakers, as outgoing salary, Kuzma counts at his 2020-21, you know, cheap rookie scale money. But for the new team, it's the average of all the years, including the new years and the current one. So that can make trading math hard unless the team has an exception or cap space. But I don't, you know, the, the, that might be a little bit harder to do this season, but then he'll count it as full value after that. So I like this deal for Kuzma. I think that it's great to get that security. And for the Lakers, it's totally fine.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Woj noted this in... And Kuzma is represented by CAA, so big big surprise that Woj gave a little positive spin. But I actually thought this is a worthwhile note. I'm sure this came from Kuzma's agent that this is the first player option in a non max rookie scale extension, which I mean that shocked me to hear that. But that that's never happened before. And certainly in our mock rookie extension negotiations, I've often proposed that as something where hey, we can't agree on an average annual value. This guy hasn't made any money in his career. He's got got this puma deal he's got some other stuff but he's only making 3.5 million this year as a really late pick when he was drafted so this gets you in with that life-changing money and also doesn't consign him if he really does blow up which i don't think will happen at this point you know at 25 he'll be but he'll be 28 when he can get back into free agency as an unrestricted free agent so if he really blows up he can go and get a big starter level of contract somewhere else or get it from the lakers as well but yeah kudos to kuzma and his representation and the lakers finding a deal that worked here and where he can get paid, the Lakers don't have to pay for more than what he's shown to be, you know, he's not getting starter money. He hasn't shown himself to be a starter. So this does have some upside maybe for the Lakers. I don't think it'll necessarily be realized, but this also isn't like a horrible contract that'll be untradable either. So yeah, I, I like you said, I completely agree and I congratulate both sides on getting creative to find a deal that worked for both of them.
1: We can jump to the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies line is set at 30 wins, which if you prorate it for 82 games is 34.2, and the Memphis Grizzlies last year on an 82 game pace won 38 games. They are a they. Are, they were playing at a thirty-eight win pace. They are a young team. You expect them to be better. And while we still don't know really what the deal is with Justice Winslow, and then Sharon Jackson, you know he's he's still recovering from this meniscus surgery. Remember that the players they traded Justice Winslow for were Andre Iguodala, who didn't play for them at all last year, and Jake Crowder, who was bad for the Grizzlies because his shot never fell in. He was much better on the Heat. Yeah, I I, and- I would
0: push back on that a little bit. I think he did provide an important spacing element of just needing to get out there even though yeah, he, he was I shooting guess. like 30 percent from three i mean that it, it, it was it was a role that they severely lacked uh, afterwards, afterwards
1: yeah. well yeah but the idea is that they're gonna have justice winslow for it eventually i mean we don't know exactly what his yeah. deal is um but also i mean for me the more important part of this if we're comparing it to last season is i think john morant will be continue to be better
0: and he he's st- looked very good in the preseason although yes he also went up against the <laughs> against the, the, the wolves the wolves and the, the hawks the so hawks. uh Take that with uh, as much salt as you put on a large pizza.
1: And so, yeah, I think with Morant, and then and then we we could see steps forward from Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark and Melton, like just a lot of go- a lot of guys that I like. I think Taylor Jenkins did a nice job in his first year as a coach. We'll see if they can be better defensively this year. But I think that the offensive scheme stuff was good, and I think that they will get more minutes from you know competent offensive players, just adding more depth to this team and everything else. So. I, I like the over here. I, I don't know that it's going to be one of my best bets, but I do really like the over.
0: Yeah, no point differential wonkiness in that 38 wins last year. Let's also forget not forget, too, that they were just so horribly injured in the bubble. Although, with no Jaron Jackson Jr., they're kind of the same team coming back. I mean, I do think Ja is going to be better. I think they're going to struggle early on, but this is just such a low line. You know, I think they can play close to 500 ball once Jackson comes back and you have got pretty decent depth on this team, even if it, not a lot of it is in the shooting category. And particularly once Winslow comes back, they'll have pretty good depth. Like they're still not throwing out anyone in this rotation where you're like, this guy is a terrible player by any means. They just don't have a ton of creation or a ton of shooting. So you could see their offense struggling a, a little bit. They also were missing Tyus Jones in the, in the bubble and, and he'll yeah. be back. They really struggled when Morant was off the floor in the bubble. So yeah, I will go with the over I had. I thought I was going to be you know pretty low on them. I have them. They're 31 wins.
1: Yeah, this is just a lower line than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Another important point to make with Memphis, this will come up more often in future teams, is just the structure of the alphabetical order. Having a play-in, I think, is going to have a real effect on this kind of middle tier of the West yes, because it gives them a lot to play for, even if there ends up being stratification around the eight spot or wherever, wherever there will be stratification because as long as there's something to fight fight for, I think that teams are going to do it until the bitter end. And so if you think of like, so normally if you think of a team as being, let's say like in an 82 game season, like a 35 or a 36 win team, you would go, oh, maybe I should go with the under there because... Gravity pulls you down because if you're out of the playoffs and everything else, but if it's now basically you're competing for ten spots out of sixteen rather than eight of sixteen or fifteen, then that that widens the pool and it, it lowers the it lowers the threshold.
0: So the Minnesota Timberwolves I initially picked them for 29 wins when I talked with Krasinski and then again I was shocked to see that I wasn't going to be under on the Wolves. They're 28 and a half which would be a 33 win pace. I mean and this team with all the shit that they went through last year was still on a 30 win pace so that's with Towns playing half the season. They didn't have Russell, they didn't have any shooting. Uh, now they did play better defense when towns was out and they just were playing a bunch of guys who were good defenders because they just didn't have anyone who could shoot anyway and they've lost gorji Jang now at backup center i think they're going to really struggle when towns is off the floor towns is off to kind of a slow start understandably given the personal tragedy that he's gone through in the offseason obviously you know we are not huge d'angelo russell believers although getting ricky rubio i think it really does kind of shore things up they don't have anything established at the three or the four though and they did have that 10 and 8 start last year but that was with with Carl Towns going absolutely completely crazy and it just doesn't seem like he's on track to have that sort of a season then you've got Anthony Edwards who is going to play and not play well uh, Jarrett Culver looks a little bit better in the preseason but you, you still wonder about his shooting and he was so bad last year he would have to make massive improvements to even be a solid rotation guy uh Juancho Hernan Gomez another guy who doesn't look very good they wave Rondé Hollis Jefferson who we thought might actually be in the mix to get some rotation time at the four I, I don't know exactly why they did that and so i get you know it's going to be jake layman and Juancho hernan gomez at the four that's one of the worst four rotations in the league they have one of the worst three rotations in the league so i mean i want to be really down on these guys and so i am going to just just because i want to take the under on this minnesota team i'm going to reduce my minnesota win projection from uh 29 to 28 just so i can slip under there
1: I'm I think I'm more confident in the under here than you because I think their defense is going to be terrible. I mean, you think about how many quality defenders are even going to be in their rotation and that number is vanishingly small. You know, like if we're if we're talking above average for their position, Rubio, Akogi, presuming he's in the rotation and that might be about it depending on how like I don't I don't think Wancho is gonna be above average. And when you think about how small they are at the three and the four, that's gonna be a big problem. And I, I also like I mean I liked what they got from Jared McLaughlin last year, but now they don't really have much of a need for him. And amazingly, no one gave him an offer sheet, so he's back on a two-way, which was very frustrating to me. I think that a lot of teams made a mistake there, especially because Minnesota had so little spending power. Like they, they it was hard; it would have been hard for them to match a reasonable offer sheet. Anyway, rant aside, the defense is a big problem. The Wolves, while Carl Anthony Towns was an Iron Man before last year they're still very dependent on him you know like they just they don't have other options their backup center is Ed Davis who was truly terrible most of last year that could have been due to injury but it was still the case like sometimes when a especially an undersized big loses their fastball it's just gone forever and it's possible with Ed Davis and they Gerson Rosas didn't really add anything behind that you know it's kind of like a backstop even though it's the cheapest position to do they have limited flexibility the forward rotation I think is, is truly terrible So I... And then Minnesota has the other challenge. You know how I'm a pick protection maven. I don't know how they're going to square this because Minnesota's pick, they owe owe it to the Warriors unless it is in the top three. And because the lottery is now four spots, you can never be sure that you're going to keep it. Like you can't tank into that even if the season goes completely off the rails, but you can make it more likely that you'll. So I don't know how that's going to go. But then the other big point I want to make is I think a lot when I, when a decision is close, I'm not saying this one super, super is on coach. And I have not seen enough from Ryan Sanders to believe that he is ready for that. That he's going to galvanize this team, and they're going to be so much better defensively, or whatever. That they that they will exceed their talent level on that end. And so that makes me more confident in the under.
0: Yeah, I just I just couldn't hitch my wagon to this star <laughs> to be like to somehow be higher than the consensus on this team? Uh just uh the wasn't going to what, gonna happen. Let's move to to New Orleans, 35 and a half. Is there over under? I've seen very encouraging things from Zion in preseason. Talked about that with Mason Ginsburg last week for Dunktown Prime. By the way, if you're listening on the public show, our sale for Dunktown Prime 35% off the monthly price if you get a yearly membership. That ends with the beginning of the season and also of course you want to watch us on NBA League Pass on Wednesday, seven o'clock Eastern, four Pacific. Really interesting game. Philly versus Washington on the first, what I like to call the real opening night. Uh, that's gonna be a lot of fun. It's a free preview on NBA League Pass. So anyone can get it. It's League Pass Digital. You just click on it, it'll give you the option for influencer stream when you select which broadcast you want to hear. So give us a shot. Listen to us call a game if you never have. It's all right there in the window. League pass is way better this year, too. They've really improved a lot of stuff with the partnership with microsoft so encourage all y'all to give that a shot and of course uh, let us know on social media if it's good we send that stuff to the nba so they can see that you guys are hopefully voting with your eyeballs uh, and watching us uh, and really appreciating what we're doing and that's how that's how we're able to get this great setup for this year where in addition to that first wednesday then we're going to be on every monday after that for the first half of the season at least and so we'd love to keep that going and to have your support in doing that uh, if you've ever complained about the regular announcers this is your ticket to try something different so uh back to zion here I thought he looked really good in the preseason, not under any minutes restrictions. Supposedly, like really did well in all their conditioning tests. What do you think of Zion's preseason?
1: I thought he, lo- I thought he looked good. I mean, he had some some bounce physically, and just how hard it is for even normal NBA athletes to contain him physically. Like he could, he can bully, he bounce guys off of him, and everything else. Now, I didn't see too much growth on the defensive end, but yeah, it was um,
0: better. I mean, I, I it actually, was better. Yeah, it was I thought, it, I thought he didn't look like a complete fucking disaster which is yeah, i guess i guess that's fair i guess
1: if i'm calibrating on how bad he was last year that yeah. that is more I, I that mean, is he more was, of an he looked like
0: the worst defensive power player in basketball last year and, and particularly in the bubble when it was just a, a disaster and he was you know supposedly 25 pounds overweight so uh according to brian Windhorst, so uh that looks really good you know i think you could have to feel as good as you could about his health uh in the preseason but i just really question how all the pieces fit together on this team
1: see i disagree there i, I think that New Orleans I think a great articulation of this for me is the Drew Holiday Eric Bledsoe swap so Drew Holiday I believe is a better overall player than Eric Bledsoe but Bledsoe's foibles in the postseason because of his limitations there and also you could argue the limitations of how Mike Budenholzer ran his offense made him you know so so the last memory of Eric Bledsoe the last couple years has been him being a negative player or at least not the positive that the Bucs wanted him to be as a regular season guy who defends his ass off and can run some Pick a role, and remember, he's going to have a, more, a role more more conducive to his talent in New Orleans than he did in Milwaukee. That I think he'll be just fine. And well, Lonzo Ball is going to have an opportunity. So if, if Bledsoe doesn't work, they have other options. And it's not perfect. I mean, the the, the fit... Be, you and I have talked in the offseason grades about the fit between Steven Adams and Zion. Like, you know, the some of the spacing issues. But on a game-to-game basis, I think there might be le- that might not be as huge a deal. There will be some teams where it just is a huge problem. But then also just having a competent defensive player I, at, around that. I mean, we saw how the favors minutes were so much better than the non-favors minutes last year. And also for me New Orleans, if we're using point differential, they out- underperformed They underperformed the point differential by a ton last year. And so they had the differential of a 39.6 win team, but then they won far less than that. And in the Zion minutes, they had a plus 4.7 differential. And I don't think that's necessarily going to continue. But remember, that isn't a huge sample, but it does include the bubble. And so I think that they will. their offense looked really good at moments with Zion and Ingram, despite their flaws together. They're just hard to kind of counter. So I, I'm a believer. I'm going over here and I feel pretty good about it.
0: How many wins do you have them with?
1: I, I don't do full on just like projections, but let's say so it's it's listed forty point four. I would say like forty three.
0: Yeah, over the course of a of, of an eighty two games. games. So yeah. that so, would be. So you think they'll be better than the Warriors? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: I, picked, I picked. I pick. I believe in my athletic. I, we didn't have to do the whole thing, but I think I picked the Pelicans over the Warriors.
0: Yeah, well, we'll do our official predictions of like all the seeds and stuff uh, on Tuesday. But I just I can't get on board with it yet with them. And I I see what you're saying, but there's some things that give me pause. Yes, the Bledsoe in a vacuum compared to drew holiday maybe not as much of a downgrade as people think but throw in the fact that he doesn't have to get guarded from three and then you also have two other guys who don't need to get guarded from three in your starting lineup and i worry about that starting lineup then their backup front court they don't have a backup three at all i guess josh hart is just gonna have to play up there they their backup four is Nicole Melli and their backup five is jackson hayes and those guys are really really bad and yeah adams has been very reliable he'll tough it out he's gonna play i still don't see zion playing the okay. Every game, because if there is any kind of a tweak at all, like he's going to miss time. There is a coaching upgrade. I give credit there, although I don't know if they're going to run as much as they did before with Bangetti. They will be better defensively. They will be better in transition defense. I don't feel incredibly strongly about this. I think they could go over. I had them with 34 wins when I predicted it, so it's not like crazy under. But I just I can't. I don't think that Brandon Ingram. I think he's really kind of overrated at this point. His defense didn't look any better in the preseason to me so i think they're just slightly below average on both ends with this group do you disagree with that do you see them as being because presumably if you have them over 500 they're going to be above average in one of offense or defense so which one would it be offense yeah
1: i think i think they'll be above average there maybe not dramatically so well well, so
0: so let's, let's go through it here we and you and i haven't talked about this but here are my 12 through 17 in offense phoenix atlanta philly washington golden state minnesota i have new orleans 19th i have them actually a tier below all of those which of those teams do you think that they are better than so, so it's was, phoenix atlanta philly washington golden state minnesota
1: i could see them being i mean philly's hard because they i mean they, they were actually better than they were 12th last year yeah um i could see them being better i mean the warriors it's just about what step how much Steph plays i mean i think that that they could if yeah new orleans is healthier there's volatility there but yeah i mean and but and I also think they they could potentially be around average, maybe slightly above average on defense. They have a lot of capable defenders. I mean, Zion's limited, and Ingram. You and I have our, our misgivings with him, but they also have Lonzo and Bledsoe and and Stephen Adams in the start in the starting five. You, their backup stuff. but also Stan Van Gundy. I think is a good defensive coach, and they're going from Gentry going from Gentry to Van Gundy. There could just be some overall positives that come there. So like maybe they outperform their talent level a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's really it's just if they just had players who were. Of this talent level, but just like different skill sets, I just really question the fit—the Zion and Adams fit Ingram as your only three. So like you, you're not going to be able to have anyone who can guard big wings because I don't, you know, Ingram can't really do that that well. Yeah, but
1: but how many of those guys are there really? Like of those, yes, they're going to get their asses kicked by the Clippers and the Bucks and some of these teams in all likelihood. But okay, that's you know, let's say like eight games, eight to ten games a year.
0: Well, and he also doesn't really provide any health defense from that, that spot either. And then, you know, there's the lack of shooting in the starting lineup. There's the lack of a capable stretch bait to play the Zion I don't put Nicola Melli in that category they're not going to stop anyone when Jackson Hayes is on the floor that's for sure you know I think they're I think their starting lineup could maybe be above average defensively but their bench is gonna suck on defense. like I mean you think of the guys coming off their bench they have no size Melly and Jackson Hayes is an awful defensive front court maybe they don't play those guys together but you throw Zion in with one of those guys and you're no better off uh and you know JJ Redick is an equality defender at this point Josh Hart's undersized at the three if they play Kyra Lewis at the backup one that's not good that's going to be ugly as well so I'm just there's just too many holes too many questions about the fit and I'm not saying that they can't go over and I mean the other question I had too which I talked about with Mason was like what is Zion Williamson, as far as like actually driving winning right now, right? I mean, he's kind of he's this incredibly efficient, high usage interior scorer that basically does nothing else, and so
1: he grabs a shit ton of offensive rebounds. If we're counting that as well,
0: okay, so. but then that leads to him just scoring inside again, right? I, sure. I, I kind of I I bring that that into the same it's under the same ages. So that's my question: is just maybe he's less valuable than it seems like he's going to be, but also you know if he's going to have sixty three percent true shooting and thirty percent usage. That, that's the, like making the ball go in the basket in, the, in those that many opportunities at that rate. It's that's the and, kind of the and of the game
1: drawing too, a ton right? of fouls, too. Yeah, which brings which brings other benefits.
0: So that's it's going to be a fascinating question to me because you know he's not he's not shown yet in his career the versatility that really made me so excited about him coming out of Duke. Like he has you know he looks like he's going to be able to score inside even better than last year. Like the right hand looks good, uh, but I'm still, uh, Like, this is just a team that needs to prove it to me. That's why I'm going with the under. Ultimately, I just, I I have, if you compare them to Golden State, when healthy, I just have a little bit better of an understanding of what these players are uh, on Golden State. And I also have an easier way of coming up with, like, what's going to be a big strength for the Warriors in terms of their defense, where I just, I struggle to see how this, you know, maybe Zion's just so good offensively, that drives you to being an above average offense. I, I don't know. So that's probably enough on them but that's a good disagreement we got three disagreements here already let's move on to the oklahoma city thunder over under 22 and a half
1: this is a real challenge because if you prorate it out that's a 25.6 win total and that's a really bad team. If you want to think about it from last year's perspective, only only five teams had the point differential of this level or worse. And some of those teams were just catastrophically injured. You could think about the the Golden State Warriors for that. The Hawks had some really basic flaws. The and so you, you go through, like that's around where the Knicks were last year, for example. So the question fundamentally is like, not not is Oklahoma City there now, because they're not. I mean, without Horford and Shea and George Hill and Whatever the hell is going on with Trevor Ariza, they're they're a better team than this. But will they continue that? Will Sam Presti and Mark Dagdalt push on the break? And I think they can, but this will be maybe the clearest test we've seen so far of... How lottery reform changes this? Because I think that the that there might not be as much pressure to free fall all the way to like to we'll use we'll use the shortened season to like 22 or 20 wins here. I could see them getting 23 or 24 and just basically having the same odds.
0: I have picked them to win 20 games this year, which would be a 23 win wow. team in normal times. And here's my thinking: like their starters might actually be semi decent. Their bench is atrocious. Like it is really really bad. And even their starters, Lou Dort, Darius like those guys had showed some ability in bit roles, but they're going to be asked to do a little bit more. Al Horford's not going to play more than 25 minutes a game, I would guess. And, you know, George Hill, is he going to start? I guess maybe he will. Maybe he'll come off the bench. Uh, and, and it's basically just completely unproven players coming off their bench. And they have enough of them that maybe some of those guys could hit a little bit. Uh, but they're also there's going to be a ton of entitlement minutes going around for guys like Teo Aladon, for example, Uh, and he's looked pretty good, maybe he can uh, Pokushevsky is going to get entitlement minutes, he's going to be awful, even though he intrigued a little bit with some glimpses in the preseason and here's the thing if the vets look any good at all if they exceed expectations they're going to be traded immediately (laughs) so
1: (laughs) well they will accept that Al Horford I think is still a negative contract I I I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Horford finish the year and I think that Horford and Shea are good enough to keep this team viable now I I'm picking the over here but not because I feel great about it. Just be like, if they're let's use 82 game standards. If they're like a 28, 29 win team for at least the first half of the year, it could be hard to fall that hard that fast, especially if they play some bad teams in there. And the challenge that yes, their talent level isn't good enough, but a, some of the teams that are bad are going to be lowering their talent level functionally to OKC by systematically resting guys and everything else. But also because it's not it's not tanking for those players like those guys are going to be trying their, you know, they have a lot of guys that I could see being hungry late in the year. Uh, so I'm I'm torn on this. Like, I, it, it's easy to see the path, even though they're not there yet. So I'm picking the over. I don't feel great about it. You know, if we could stay away, I would. But
0: yeah, I. Uh- yeah i feel that they want to be the the worst team in basketball and it's to limit your downside in what's going to be a good draft to not fall below the number five pick and i mean that's just it's just what this season is all about it's what this plan is all about they're the only ones who are doing this the only thing that could screw me over is if nobody else is close to this bad and it doesn't they don't have to lose at the end i mean you know if al horford sticks around past the trade deadline if he plays half the games after. The trade deadline i would be surprised right like they'll be they'll be putting him in bubble wrap and he might not even be like with the team by the end of the year trevor ariza isn't gonna join these guys at all it looks like he's just gonna be on the andrew guadalla plan uh, that's what royce young was telling us on, on the thunder preview so it just th- there's so much downward momentum here and you know maybe shaky Gilchrist alexander is just so good but he hasn't proven to me to be a guy who can really like set up his teammates and drive efficient offense their shooting is miserable on this
1: yeah, There's a part of me that's actually very excited about Shea and Dennis Schroeder both being in circumstances where they don't have, like, a Chris Paul anymore. Yeah. And so we'll get—I mean, Schroeder's going to have that with LeBron for a portion of his minutes, of course. So I think we'll kind of see the Chris Paul valuation in absentia there, and then, of course, we'll see his value in person
0: somewhere else. Well— I have these guys as the worst offense in basketball, and I don't... Totally think, fair. And so if you're starting from it's that between
1: point, It's between them and the Knicks, right?
0: Uh, yes, they are the two teams in my uh, my lowest tier, tier six uh, for offenses. So let's move on to Phoenix now. 38 and a half, that would be a 44 win pace over 82 games. What do you make of these guys?
1: Notably, the Suns were not too far behind this pace... Last year in the regular season, I mean that includes their bubble run because un- even though they went undefeated, they didn't make the playoffs. But forty point five was their their expected eighty two game win wins based on their dif- their differential, which was basically even. And they got better. I mean, the way I like to think about their off season is that they swapped Ricky Rubio for Chris Paul and swapped Kelly Oubre for Jay Crowder. I think that those are both those are both upgrades, depending on exactly what you're looking for. And remember, Kelly Oubre didn't play in the bubble, so then that's another another one when the, a lot of their young guys stepped up and I think the passage of time is really going to help the Suns too. I mean, Aiton could take a step forward this year. Booker might have another one, but Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and all of those guys potentially improving a little bit. And then Chris Paul, I think will help give them some more defensively. So I don't, I, I'm not saying hammer this over, but I do. I do think that it, I do feel pretty good about it.
0: So I went with the over as well. I picked them for 40 wins this season. Their over under is 38 and a half, so a 46 win team and I really like other than at center where if DeAndre Eaton misses time I think they might be in a little bit of trouble because they just don't really have an established backup big of any kind who's capable of starting over more than a couple of games Uh, I really like their depth getting Langston Galloway and Etuan Moore uh Cameron Payne was a a huge help to them now we'll see how Payne plays his shooting from the bubble is probably not sustainable but if he falters then they have the option of just going with a solid player in Galloway next to Booker and And letting Booker run the offense and they've got so they've got 48 good minutes of initiators you might want them to have like one more good pick and roll guy um but you know maybe that's Cameron Payne and and he could do enough there Uh, and Paul's health is a little bit concerning but even then I think they can be reasonable enough and I just this team doesn't have a lot of weaknesses and Chris Paul is really good he's not gonna play as well as he did last year he probably won't play as many minutes relatively as he played last year but uh, I'm a believer in these guys and uh, at least to be, you know, kind of 45-win type of team, and uh, that would give them the over.
1: It would, and also the Suns have terrible depth at center, but they have strong forward depth, and so maybe they can slide Dario Saric over a little bit, because remember, Saric is their fourth forward, but he's their second-best center. So maybe there's some opportunity there. Also, center is the easiest position to get somebody off the street, and the Suns aren't right up against. <laughs> well, apparently the ta- not
0: because they signed Damian Jones. But- I
1: know, but this, they're right up against the right. They're not right up against the tax or anything. And Damian Jones is only, I believe, he's only partially guaranteed. So if James Jones, if it just doesn't work, they could find somebody functionally off the street. I think that would pretty much do it. And so I, I, I think that that's that's the like the basically the single most solvable problem in the NBA is having a bad backup center. And also, you know, depending on how the season goes, I could see the Suns, if they wanted to, maybe they could make a trade to improve in season. I don't think they're selling off parts this year so that that's something i think about sometimes on the margin but i don't think there's that much i'll say I, th- I think they're gonna be better than this
0: yeah their depth in particular makes me feel pretty good about it and you know i think devin booker he takes a step forward every year and that's you, you feel pretty good about that portland 41 and a half is their over under that's a 47 win pace over 82 games and before the season i was feeling really really good about this team i thought that they had fixed some of uh, their big issues that took them from being a really good team in 2019 to being a below 500 team last year uh and you know preseason has not looked amazing for these guys you know that's been a, a little bit of a concern so i'm having a i picked them to win a, a number of games here How, what did i give them yeah i had them with 44 wins which would be like right on 50 games uh i might knock that down for one and make it call it 43 as i think about it more and you know their preseason has been a little disjointed and the idea of mellow closing games doesn't exactly titillate me but I still think they're going to be the over here uh and that's uh I think their defense going to be respectable and they're going to be uh, a really really good offense,
1: right and that and that's where I would start as well it is true that the Blazers are very dependent on Lillard in particular but CJ as well staying healthy but broadly speaking those guys have during their career and the Blazers have been a consistently strong offense especially when Lillard's been on the floor they were third last year and they have much better defensive talent I mean Nurkic didn't play in the bubble though white side i mean i think that his contributions to the team should not be ignored and the, he won't be replaced uh and he, he you know they, they have to replace that with nurkic but also just having robert covington and derrick jones jr in the rotation gary trent now you know he slots down which i think will be not necessarily good for him but shows the depth that portland has now and they you know when zach collins gets back that will be another useful front court piece who you know potentially could get overplayed but i don't know necessarily think that's going to happen and for a team that's this good offensively for portland to get to this over i'm not even sure they have to get quite to league average defensively i think if they were in the like lower the lower teens they'd probably be okay and yes and there's not a
0: huge difference between like 12 and 17
1: right but like they were 20 they were 27th last year and still weren't that far from being a 500 team and I think they'll be better than that this coming season
0: all right so we're in agreement on the over then on the Portland Trailblazers and we'll see I mean maybe the place where if Dave Miller takes a little bit of a step back is because age 30 season CJ McCollum has not looked good in preseason he's obviously a, a very key piece for them but I think the other thing that people are forgetting is just how much having a full season of Yusuf Nurkic is going to help these guys. Yes. Compared to Whiteside. I mean, Whiteside, I thought, really killed them last year, frankly. So...
1: I thought there were times when he helped, helped them a little bit defensively, but he, he, I mean, especially like the way their offense flowed was totally different.
0: The Sacramento Kings, 27 and a half. That would be a 31 win pace over the course of an 82 game season. This one seems kind of about right to me. What do you think?
1: I actually really like the over here. Um, oh, baby. And- I do. I'm a Sacramento Kings optimist. When the line is this low, they had the differential of about a 34 win team last year. And yes, they did lose Bogdanovich. But remember that De'Aaron Fox missed more than 20 games last year, and the Kings just fell off a damn cliff when he was unavailable. Not saying that wouldn't happen again if De'Aaron Fox is unavailable again. But they, I, I, I like. The, the overall depth on this team, getting Hassan Whiteside and GR3 on minimum contracts made me feel a lot better about where Sacramento kind of, like, their floor. And I like Halliburton. He's not a huge part of this projection because I don't know how much he's going to play. But, you know, they have a bunch of, like, a bunch of capable NBA players. The the only thing that gives me real pause with Kings, and this is a huge thing. There are two, actually. One is... I. I don't know how tied Monty McNair is to Marfin Bagley, but I do think that he will play more than he probably should just because of the pedigree and yeah. everything else. It looks like
0: he's he may start at the four.
1: Yes. And then the other one is the 48 good minutes at point guard, you know, so if if Fox misses, I, I'm fine broadly with Corey Joseph playing, you know, like I think that he's another player, like I talked about this with Wanamaker earlier, where he's miscast as like the initiator of an offense, but I still think that he can be out there, you know, if he's filling, it, filling a role. Um, speaking of that, this is a team that could have gone after Jordan McLaughlin. Anyway, and so and not having Bogdanovich to do some of that will be, well, that that will kind of suck. But I mean Fox, I think could take another step forward. I think that they're and, and remember how much last year was just kind of a disaster overall, you know, like all the all the, the first year of Luke Walton and they didn't run nearly enough and everything else. I, I just think I think they'll be, you know, I would have thought that they would take a step forward anyway, even without Bogdanovich. And so to basically get it that they're taking the over unders, they're taking a step back. The and it's not like they were super healthy super healthy last year so I, I, I like the over here
0: I do like at least that Buddy Heald looks better yeah in, in this preseason he's, he's a little heavy he's not going to help much uh, on defense I don't believe in their coaching I don't know how the, they're going to stop anybody with this group if you've got Bagley and and Rashawn Holmes has gotten better defensively but you know between Bagley Whiteside Holmes and that's not an amazing group there Harrison Barnes at the three they don't really have like a great stopper on the wing you know gr3 is we'll see where he's at by the way just to look at something that you talked about uh they're actually much worse with De'Aaron fox on the floor last year they had a negative four net rating but
1: that's that's the whole thing of like their starters you know the their 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 overall starting five wasn't great
0: yeah well so but but anyway i mean but if we're looking at like oh well he missed 20 games and that killed them you know i'm not sure that the data is there to to prove that um but this is a team i think that is going to have a lot of downward momentum in the draft uh i could see luke walton potentially getting fired as well and they just need another piece they need another star and it just makes so much sense to try to get that guy you know I think Monty McNair he's got some rope because he just got hired he'll be on board with that as well and particularly if they just like bring up some interim coach if they move on from Luke Walton like this is a team where a bad start is going to be like a real anchor for them I would think and obviously if there's any kind of an injury to Fox then they're totally sunk offensively I just I see them as like well below average on both ends Uh, I have them as the 23rd best offense and the 22nd best defense you know i just don't really and i don't really see how they get above average on either end uh and i think there's just gonna be significant this is a team that's gonna have significant downward momentum as they're competing with some of these east teams to have a worse record at the end of the year so i'm gonna go at the under getting more disagreements there's five disagreements already in the 13 teams
1: yeah I, I don't think we're going to get one on the Spurs the over under is set at 29 and a half. you could prorate that to a 33.6 pace in the 82 game season and first of all this came up very recently. San Antonio was a way better team than this last year. They were they had the point differential of a 39 win team. They underperformed that by a couple of wins over the over the course of the abbreviated season. And I think that if health, if sufficiently healthy, Derek White is primed for a breakout. I think that they have enough depth that the, they'll be fine. I mean, you can think about some of the guys who could step up, like Keldon Johnson. We'll see if Vassell can get minutes. And part of the reason, and so I think a pop team is going to, you know, I think that they'll, they could defend better than last year, depending on who plays and how much, DeMar DeRozan. But some of the other, th- one of the other things that I was thinking about is there is a distinct possibility that San Antonio trades away some of their veterans, but I don't necessarily think that makes them dramatically worse. Also, the Spurs don't generally make a ton of trades in season. So I, I my feeling has long been that if they were going to do that move, they would have done it already.
0: So a reason for concern here with the over, which I am going to take also is Derek White isn't supposed to be back for weeks according to Greg Popovich
1: yeah that's definitely a concern
0: um and Keldon Johnson as well Johnson is at least playing three on three but he is a couple weeks away from playing that was as of December 15th so maybe he'll miss a week at the start of the season but it seems like White that's going to go into January and his improvement was a big part of why I was into this team I think LaMarcus Aldridge is looking pretty calcified defensively DeMar DeRozan isn't going to be as good as he was last year, I don't think. And you know, he may have a little bit more spacing to work with with Aldridge shooting threes all year. They do have like decent enough depth. Rudy Gay could fall off very easily. Patty Mills, who they're very reliant on last year, he could fall off very easily. So I'm not taking this as a lock. But if they were if they were just totally healthy to start the year, I would be like, yeah, why are they gonna be worse than last year? I don't get it. But I think Johnson and White in particular, he was like the big he's the biggest reason for optimism with this group. And if he's gonna miss a bunch of time, um, it seems like they're also like taking everyone kind of slow. Uh but with Pop there, you don't see them going into total rebuild mode and as a result I will go with the over. I had I picked them for 32 wins uh when I did my podcast with them. I might bump that down a little bit by one with the news but of Johnson and White being solidified of how much time that they're probably going to miss here, but overall I think I will go with the over. It just doesn't seem like a team that is going to they probably should be taking a little harder than they are. We'll, and we'll see what happens with Aldridge and Torozen in trades, but those guys don't seem to have a lot of value. This doesn't isn't a very creative front office when it comes to trades, so kind of have this feeling that those guys are just going to marinate here all year
1: yeah that is that is my inclination as well we can get to the utah jazz their line is set at 42 and a half that becomes 48.4 if you
0: think about it as 82 game season yeah. let's talk and gobert extension first actually
1: yeah we, we could get that first gobert signs the sign signs a contract that is worth more than 30 percent of the Cap next year, whether that counts yeah. as a supermax he, or not, is an open the point. really
0: the really awesome max, but not not the supermax. Yeah, and but but it is a designated player veteran extension, which is colloquially what we've been calling the the supermax. But it is a technically you could be between thirty percent and thirty five percent of the salary cap to start, that that's where and
1: we'll be. and five years, two hundred five million represents the largest contract in NBA history for a center only player. It's it's right, and so that is big time money Gobert also gets a player option in the last year like Donovan Mitchell and this is a it it kind of clear, it it's an example of some of the challenges that teams have and i think that the frame that i've used to think about this is defining success the jazz are now very set with the with where this is going because like if we want to think about 21-22 even with Mike Conley not counting at all the Jazz are basically at the tax line, and remember, that's not using the middle level exception. That's letting Mike Conley straight up walk, and maybe new owner Ryan Smith is willing to pay some tax, but is he willing to go ten to fifteen million in? Eh.
0: I think and I think he is if they're good.
1: If they're good, yeah. And so this is a, a a major commitment. We don't know the exact structure of Gobert's contract. This is an unusual element of a player signing with some real flexibility here. They could structure it as being a little bit higher in the first year and then closer to flat, or. They 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 could, you know, do 8% raises. However, these these two sides, I believe it can't descend just because at the numbers that have been quoted, but it could be closer to flat. And so, but whatever whatever structure it is, it's still forty one million a year for a center who will spend more time in his thirties than his twenties on this extension, and who, while he's tall, and that will probably age fine, and he takes good care of his body, and there are ways that Gobert can positively affect it, even if he loses some mobility. It to me what it does is it solidifies them as a very good team, and it also means that they're probably not going to win a title, but they probably weren't going to anyway.
0: Yeah, this is uh, you see a lot lot of different things from new owners coming in and one of the mistakes you'll often see them make is that they are they want to show their commitment and that can lead to profligate spending in this case yes if he has a willingness to pay the luxury tax that makes this less of a concern but i mean the utah jazz have as good a chance of losing in the first round this year as not and how much longer do you want to pay the luxury tax if that's your team every year now i I agree with you, right? This is something that we've talked about of, hey, what is the alternative for this group, right? Like, even if Gobert left, that you're still good enough that you have all these veterans to where you can be winning games and you know smith has said he views it as kind of a public trust in utah and so i think putting a competitive team on the floor is important to him and this is you know the most that rudy gobert could have gotten from another team was four years and a little over 150 million had he become a free agent and so this is so much more than that and so much more than i would have wanted to pay like if i had to guess what i would have thought his value would be you know something like 30 million a year over the next four years is something i would have wanted like something in the lines of like 120 million million guaranteed. Now worth noting, there could potentially be a non-guarantee on this, but it would have to be two non-guaranteed years or at least two partially non-guaranteed years. Because if you have an option year, then the percentage guaranteed has to be the same as the preceding year. So you know maybe they are there's something like the last two years are half guaranteed or something, you know, sort of Al horford Yeah, style. because
1: remember, you we always hear the most player friendly version of terms first. Yeah. Because it comes from the agent.
0: So that could change my opinion on this, but man, I mean it, it is going to get at pretty ugly by the end and you know he's been pretty healthy in his career he's gonna stay having a 7-9 wingspan and a 9-7 standing reach but it's his mobility to me that really makes him special and we haven't seen you know he has to to be worth this contract he has to be playing at a defensive player of the year type of level and you're just remember the
1: cap's not rising quickly
0: right away Uh, although it may i i think that is one thing that we probably if the new tv deal kicks in in 23 24 i think it's after 24 is when it kicks in but maybe they're even having negotiations that would uh move it up a little bit more that that could have it kick in earlier but that to me is maybe what's being missed here is that by the end of this that we could see not as big of a cap spike as 2016 but at least somewhat of a cap spike once this agreement between the players and the owners of the three To 10% rise expires. So it's just like how many players have played at a defensive player of the year level past like 30 or 31? That's just defense actually wanes faster than offense generally. So if he's not playing at that level, he could become an offensive liability if he can't get up for those alley oops as well. And it's just, it's concerning. It's going to be ugly at the end. And I just, I'm not sure that. I mean, do you think there's an argument that they needed to do this? Because, like, your thought is, "Hey, we we got to keep this guy." Yes. It might be ugly on the back end but paying this back end is the only way we can keep him in the short term and it's the short term that matters what do you think of that argument with respect to this contract
1: i hear it because especially when you think about the jazz not being a free agent destination so the opportunity cost there isn't as high but if you think about what i talked about with the luxury tax before it is higher than maybe some think because it's not just free money when you can't use the mid-level or maybe you can't use it full but it, I don't think that they're so good right now that it justifies that. You know, like uh, Seth partno brought up the point of you know thinking about that we sometimes we focus too much on the backside and don't appreciate the front side. But the Jazz are, as you said, like they're a, a good team right now. And there there is some growth here. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, of course, can improve, but Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Ingles, Favors, all those guys, you know, I I think you could see it, you could see step down, and Gobert could potentially be among that group, and his step down could be would be the most important of that group. And it's very hard for them to pivot. There isn't a ton of surplus trade value on this team anywhere. And the other part of this is that it does change the way I think about the Derek Favors contract, because part of the idea behind Giving favors roughly 10 million a year was okay. You have some Gobert insurance, and so that way he's not nearly as good as Rudy Gobert. But if Gobert walks or you trade him, then you have somebody who can step in. Who you know, and and favors can play with Gobert too. But if you were willing to go this deep for gobert you didn't need gobert insurance because you already had him like there, there was no way he was going to turn this down
0: yeah this is this is a lot of money and and you can look at it another way even when it was only the 30 percent max giving a five-year deal on the 30% max for guys who are kind of you know the 15th to 20th best player in the NBA which is about where I would put Rudy Gobert after these last few years and some might say oh you know the stats say that he's better than that but you know this whole defense is worth more is worth just as much as offense like that's just not the case right like and if it were you would have the best defensive player in the league would be the guy winning championships every year and no that's not true it's usually much more often than that it's, a guy who's a top five offensive player in the league is the leader of teams that win championships. That is the rarer skill, particularly when you get to the absolute highest levels, having a guy that you just cannot stop. And
1: Now, so- I could I could see the argument more, and I think yeah. David Locke has said this, in the regular season, just because yes. having that consistency game in and game out is is very valuable. And a one player, in particular Gobert, depending on what system you run, can make a huge difference. But yeah, if the goal was winning championships or even advancing rounds in the playoffs, because we've seen for a couple of years now, I mean, you could even go back and yes, the, the Warriors teams they played were anomalous for, for many reasons. But when the Jazz have gotten into the mix against superstar talents, other than horrendously fitting rosters, they've had some real struggles because Gobert, Gobert's game doesn't work nearly as well.
0: So getting back to the point of just paying a guy like this this type of a salary and whether it's Blake Griffin whether it's Darren Williams like whoever you want to go back to John Wall obviously Russell Westbrook when you're talking about a guy who is the 15th let's just even
1: say not a top 10 player yeah
0: yeah not a top 10 player and you give him a five-year deal in his late 20s like he's just not it's always going to end really poorly and you know I think Gobert maybe in the first year of his contract could be worth it because let's not forget, this isn't starting right now. This is starting a year from now when he's 29 right. already. And so this is basically to go out six years instead of five from the moment it's being signed. Yeah, he's going to be worth this contract for one year and then he's not. Like that's the most likely outcome. And it's particularly if it goes up, you know, if this declines, I'd feel probably a little better about it, but I'm, it, it's, it's going to be ugly. I don't quite buy the idea of, oh, they didn't have another chance. If they would have been eligible to give him this same deal next summer right so so and
1: he could he could Gobert could have left of his own volition because he you know he would be an unrestricted free agent maybe he'd be unhappy with everything but nobody could have offered the money
0: yeah and so something along the like what i thought would be more fair would have been kind of starting at 30 percent of the cap declining and then maybe having like a non-guaranteed year on the end so like something along the lines of basically giving him 150 million dollars in guaranteed money basically like the contract that he could have gotten as a max next year but to also have it decline like that's what i would have been and they well, they could have structured it that way using the supermax the de- or i should say using the designated player veteran extension if they wanted to and i think that would have been they should have just i, I honestly i yeah, think they and, should have just negotiated a little bit harder like that's ultimately the, what it boils this down
1: is to. that i'll phrase it a different way i'm agreeing with you but what risk did the jazz mitigate here <sighs> I mean, just the, that he'd be we, pissed
0: off and leave. That, like,
1: I guess. Uh, I mean,
0: that that's the risk that they
1: mitigated. But you learn if you learned so much over the course of the year. And yes, it's not match rights that the Jazz wielded, but they had the right to to pay him more in years and all, and money per year than anybody else could offer. Because like you still have that flexibility from thirty to thirty-five, which would have been very valuable for the Jazz. And another way to think about this is. And and again, this is defining success. This isn't saying, I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing. It just depends on how Smith and Dennis Lindsay and everybody else sees this. The Jazz are, if, if we assume that Derek Favors picks up his, his option, if you add in, like, just kind of thinking roughly of adding yeah. in first so, round so picks. So
0: th- third-year player option for Favors at a little over 10.
1: Yeah, third-year player option. So I'm thinking about 22-23. So that's the second year of Gobert's extension. The Jazz are, right now, they're, let's call it 10 million below the tax with their, with their main guys. At that point, maybe they've won a playoff series or two, maybe a conference finals. I I wouldn't expect it, but you know, you're getting in there and then they're still hovering around the luxury tax that year. And then the player, the players who expire after that year are Bogdanovich and, and Derek favors if he picks up that player option. So how, because remember, the problem with committing a bunch of money is that you are you don't hit that wall right away. You hit that wall eventually. And the analogy that I would make, and the Jazz are a better team than this, but it, it's not so much Clarkson and Gobert, or I mean, Gobert and Mitchell, it's plus favors and Clarkson, is this kind of reminds me of the Washington Wizards, where they committed a bunch of money, but they didn't have to pay it right away. And then once they got there, they went, oh crap, this is a really big problem.
0: Let's talk about their season this season though. And you mentioned mitigating the risk at least it mitigates the risk that he was going to go through the whole year being pissed off um and that then if they disappointed a little bit early on there'd be a thought of like hey maybe we need to trade this guy and get something for him but certainly that does not seem to be the ethos right now and ryan Smith he's he's owning the team like a fan which he was so it's kind of it's, he is not there there's a reason that you have to kind of be a little bit more detached from things to, to make good decisions and whether it was Clarkson whether it was favors although that one I didn't mind as much whether it's Donovan Mitchell totally caving on the all NBA criteria and getting the player option as well whether it's Gobert, I, I mean the insanity of him getting a player option which he's eh, I think he might opt into but nonetheless that like you needed to seal the deal with that like he wasn't going to say yes if you like come on man like it's just yes there's some anchoring with he's earned the right to have this full supermax. but uh and of course he's been prickly and they've tried to prop him up over the years with all this screen assist stuff and defense is just as important as offense and it massages eco and blah blah well then it's like well hey why aren't you just offering me the absolute most that you can if you've been saying all this stuff over the years and you know Ryan, ryan smith is a huge rudy gobert fan and So... This is the result. And uh, they just like, you got to run it like a business, not like you're a fan. And I think that's, you know, they're going to basically have, you mentioned that 22, 23 season between like Clarkson and favors, possibly Mitchell, if he makes all NBA and Gobert. you probably going to have, you know, 15 million extra dollars of contracts on the books that you maybe didn't need to have. And that, that's going to have a result. Now, if Ryan, if Ryan Smith is going to pay $25 million a year in luxury tax for a team that's in the second round or the, or the first round, then fine. It's his money. He could do that. I just,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, just just like Paul Allen. I mean, if that that's the way he wants to roll it, by all means. And you and I love that. Like if that's if that's where this goes, great. But let's talk about the Jazz this season. A forty-two and a half win projection over under is forty-eight point four in a full season, and the Jazz like that's a high bar to be to be clear. But. The Jazz have been at that level, you know, each of the last few seasons, they have strong defense, they have consistent offense. And so if you want to look at last year, the Jazz had the differential of a 47-win team. But something I thought about was the specific things, struggles that they had last year that I don't expect to be duplicated. So they had horrible bench minutes before they got Jordan Clarkson. Mike Conley had all sorts of trouble. Ed Davis totally failed at backup center, and then they eventually went to Tony Bradley. Both of those guys are gone now, and they have favors who's an upgrade on both of them. And... Bogdanovich, remember, missed the bubble due to injury. So, I think the Jazz are a, a better team than they were last year. I think they are a well-coached team. They have a con- they are one of the few teams with a persistent home court advantage, so I'm going over.
0: Yeah, me too. I think this is just a really strong team. They've got pretty good depth as well. They've got a lot of continuity as well, which should be useful early in the season. You mentioned the, the home court advantage for them, and they just know what they want to do on the floor. They have a really good system. it has been a good regular season team. Mike Conley has fit in here now as well, so yeah, I mean this team has been better than a forty-eight win team basically every year. Let's not forget in the bubble last year they uh took it very, very easy. E- even if you look at last year, yeah, they had their expected wins were forty-seven uh, over the course of eighty-two games, and this would be above that by a win. But when you consider that they took it so easily in the bubble and that their bench was so bad last year for a lot of the year with Tony Bradley, and now Derek Favors is there to hopefully fix that. uh Yeah, yeah. I think for for,
1: for reference, their win expectancy pre so. If it's it's just the pre bubble season was about fifty.
0: Yeah. Okay. That that seems yeah because they were terrible. They wanted to get the sixty to match up against Denver and that almost worked. And they definitely didn't want to play Houston. So yeah, I mean, I picked these guys to win forty six games. So that's that is this is probably going to end up being one of my best bets. I'm guessing, but we'll of course get to those at the end of tomorrow's podcast, which will be available for subscribers on Dunked On Prime. This is your last chance. Take advantage. Of that 35% off sale that we have, you get a year membership. So you also get total access as well, where you can get our cap sheets. Well, it those updated with Rudy Gobert in there. As soon as we know the exact numbers for him, you'll get Danny's in my chats. You'll of course get the four dunked on prime podcasts per week and a ton of other extra goodies as well. So please give it a shot. If you haven't yet on dunked on prime and check us out on League pass on Wednesday, 7 PM Eastern 4 Pacific. It's free.